Yeah, we used to do a, a, a thing, uh, long-term listeners will, will remember, uh, if we've still got some long-term listeners, uh, where we used to do almost like a debate, where we used to basically take uh, a subject or an idea or something that had been around in the movie uh, movie world, sort of like that week or something, and just do a debate where essentially we just 
sort of went, right, this is what we're going to talk about. And then we kind of just chatted about it for sort of 10, 15 minutes. Um, the problem with it was it, it, it was going to be a regular feature, but stuff didn't come up regular enough. So we would end up picking subjects and we thought, you know what, it's going to be easier if we just do it as and when um but an idea kept my head because we didn't have a marathon thought well why don't we bring back the debate so we're gonna look at is the the foreseeing and the the future um scheduling uh, of movies uh, kind of taking a little bit of the surprise element and a little bit of the magic out of modern cinema um so we are going to look at uh, as for instance the full marvel release schedule and the full dc release schedules and sort of have us quit sort of discussion about whether or not that kind of takes a little bit of the edge out of it but we're also going to discuss how formulaic um releasing schedules have become now so you have you know we've had the big summer blockbusters and we're now getting into the awards warm-ups and then once we hit sort of from about now or towards the beginning of december that's when you start hitting the awards bait films and then you get a little bit of trickle on effect from that and then you start hitting the the February March dumping ground, and then it rolls back into April, where you start the blockbuster season again. Is all this kind of taking the element of surprise out of uh, the cinema going experience? Nice. Um, so yeah, we'll be doing that. We'll be doing a bit of um, one old, one new, and some Twitter questions and whatnot as well. But um, we shall start start off as we usually do. Uh, Mark, do you want to tell us what trailers you've been watching? This week? Yeah, there's a couple come out uh, this week uh, of of interest. Uh, the um, the first Paddington trailer's come out, which is quite strange because it's actually the third Paddington trailer we've had. Uh, but it's the first one where you've got um, Ben Whishlow's voice uh, oh, okay. as Paddington um, on it. Uh, it's a strange one, Paddington. The idea of it and everything like that, I, I am absolutely, you know, think this is a terrible idea. But the more and more trailers I see for Paddington, the more and more um, I actually go... Uh, do you know what? Yeah, as a Christmas movie and things like that, I, I can get behind the kind of idea about it. Um, it's it looks schmaltzy as hell, but do you know what? It looks like the sort of film that I will go and watch with Becky and Isabel um, when we've done like Christmas shopping on, on like a night or something like that, and it's cold outside, and we're gonna go and watch that, and then go for. Um, a coffee and a hot chocolate afterwards. So I'm, I'm kind of, I've actually come round full circle. I'm actually quite behind the idea of Paddington, to be honest. Oh, fair enough. Um, the trailer for um, Chappie, the uh, new um, Neil Blomkamp uh, film, um, it, it looks very sadness baiting. Um, <laughs> it, it looks interesting, very much again. He's got a very distinct style, and it does look again like it's all uh, all his films live within a same kind of world, which isn't actually an issue uh, at all. Uh, it looks like he's going more back to the smaller scale roots of uh, District Nine and moving away from where he had a lot grander scale uh, with Elysium that didn't quite work as well as it could have done. Uh, but it, it looks, it does look good, but. I'm a little bit, a little bit wary of the fact that I felt a little bit like it was trying to emotionally lead me in a certain way, uh, and that's just in a freaking trailer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I thought it, I thought it looked alright. Um, it doesn't look like it's going to be anything particularly special, though. That's the thing. It just, yeah, uh, 
I like I, I don't know who exactly it's being aimed at like whether it's actually going to be like a family film or whether it's going to have some kind of like harder core elements to it um yeah I mean we'll I don't know we'll see but it kind of looks like a film like a, a, a family film of the 80s late 80s yeah today's CG but no like extra oomph in the narrative um I mean, of course I'll watch it. I mean, like, I think I'll be interested in anything Blomkamp Camp does, to be honest, even, even if Elysium wasn't that great. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's not exactly a trailer that blows you away, though, is it? No, it, it, it's not. Not really. Um, another trailer I watched was uh, the uh, Let's Kill Ward's Wife uh, film. A group of friends decide, um, jokingly decide, that they're going to uh, kill their friend's wife because she's a super bitch. Uh, then it appears like they accidentally kind of do it, uh, and Ward finds out that they they jokingly planned this, so they actually already knew how they were going to get rid of the body and everything like that. They think he's going to freak out, and in reality, he's actually all for it. Uh, it looks like one of those ones that will appear on Netflix, and I'll watch on like a, a, like late on a Thursday night or something like yeah. that, where it'll be it'll be eighty seven minutes, it'll be entertaining enough, and it'll finish, and I'll go. You know what? That was all right, but then that's it. I will never think about it again. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it, but like I that, like Netflix Thursday night thing. I know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah, um, and I, I'm going to let you take the the big release trailer for this week because uh, I think you got a lot more out of it than me. <laughs> yeah, I suppose in a funny way, it probably is the biggest release of the week, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, uh, yeah, the Minions movie. Um, I, I laughed a lot at this. Um, I like juvenile comedy with slapstick elements, and I like Minions saying, Banana! Banana! <laughs> that makes me laugh. If it doesn't make you laugh, it's absolutely fine. It made me laugh, and I can't, actually kind of can't wait to see this film. I'm, the thing I have with the Minions is, I. it's one of those things where I, I just I don't get it. But it's one of those other things where it's not like they bother me um, seeing them everywhere. You know, the, the first Despicable Me 2 trailer, which was them doing the uh, the song. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Laugh my ass off at that. So yeah. with Minions, at the moment, I'm like, I, I have no interest in it at all. But I have a feeling I will watch it out of pure curiosity. And it won't... It, 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 because like I've seen a lot of people getting behind it, saying, "Oh, I'm getting it's fucking sick of seeing those things," and I'm not in that place at all. They just don't bother me. They just they appear to be a massive part of kind of um, culture at the moment. Mm. You know, they, they they seem to be around even when there's not a film to promote. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, like they basically have upstaged what were supposed to be the central characters of the Despicable Me franchise, which is weird. But they they just, there is going to be a Despicable Me 3, but, you know, you have to wonder whether, unless it's not got minions in, whether, like, why would Steve Carell even bother coming back? It's like, just get some other person to voice that, because no one even wants to see him. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it is like that. It it very much is, just, no, don't do Despicable Me, just see how minions works, then do a Minions 2. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know, it just... There's very obvious stuff in there, but the comedic timing of it and just the way it's handled, I, I think, works. The Dracula bit I really, really liked as well. You know, it, I, I, I'm up for watching these Minions 
buck up and slap each other. That's for 90 minutes. That'll do for me. I'm actually annoyed there's a, a, a human voice cast in it. Yeah, that, that that's one thing that, that bothers me is how much of what we've seen at the start of it is going to be uh, 10 minutes at the start of the thing and then the rest of it's going to be... The, essentially, it's going to be very much like the Muppets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Minions. Uh, I, I'm very kind of like switched on towards that. Um, also, the final one I watched was the, the Mockingjay Part 1 trailer. Um, oh, I've, yeah. I've still not watched any of the Hunger Games films, to be honest. Um, I might kind of do a catch-up on those. Um, but, yeah, it looks pretty epic, actually, in sort of scale and size. This is going from somebody who has no idea what the fuck's going on in the Hunger Games movies at the moment. But I did kind of turn around to Becky, because I saw it um, before in Stellar, and said, that looks pretty fucking... There's a lot of scale in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sorry, you just caught me pushing my tea there. I do apologise. Um, the thing, the thing is with the Hunger Games, is that the first two films are kind of broadly similar in what they actually are, whereas this one, for plot reasons, I won't go into because you haven't seen the um, the first two, but it's kind of got to do something else now, mm. and it it looks like it's really amping that up, and it's interesting as well because I think anecdotally the um, the last book, which these last two films are based on, is the one that people don't really like and don't really get on with. Mm. So it's going to be interesting to see whether with two separate films, whether they're able to kind of put some more meat on the bones, maybe change ups and stuff and create a more satisfying uh, kind of experience. I mean, I um, haven't read the books myself. Uh, Donna has. Uh, she really enjoys them. And uh, I mean, I know she's she's looking forward to this. I mean, yeah, it does it does look epic. And, um, I mean, the addition of Julianne Moore is going to be very interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I find it hard to get really, really amped for a film when I know it's just part one of a, of a story, even though I suppose in a way the first Hunger Games film was part one of a story, but it kind of has, it still has its own self-contained narrative being that it is a book. Whereas this it is literally just stopping it at a point and saying, right, see you all next year. Yeah, I mean, it is it is very much the the kind of Lord of the Rings, Hobbit um, way of Potter, doing Harry Potter. Like yeah, so way... I think it was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows that really started that trend of splitting the final parts into two. And you've had this, you got Twilight, the Divergent films are going to be doing that. Like you say, the Hobbit, um, you know, like splitting two films into three films. There, but it's essentially the same. It's um, yeah, I don't know. It, it sometimes I think it's hard to justify it, but sometimes it it seems to work. Like I haven't read The Hobbit, but I don't really. I I, I do. I mean, I feel like there is room for another film yeah. of The Hobbit based on those films. Whereas Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, I genuinely do think that could have been one very long single film, but could have had a bunch of shit taken out of both parts. Mm. Yeah, it is. Like you say, if if you get three good films out of it, then fair enough. It's when you start to go, hmm. When you get a two and a quarter, two hour, twenty minute film, and you're going, you could cut twenty minutes out of that. That's when it starts to become a little bit. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. Other than that, that's that's all I've watched trailer wise this week. Yeah, I mean, my, my computer's frozen at the moment, so I, I can't get onto Trailer Addict, so I'm assuming that's all I've watched. Hang on a second, where's my phone? I'll have a quick look. Um, but those are the big ones. You know, I did kind of think there was something else I'd watched, but 
Maybe not. Bear with, bear with. Uh, yeah, Into the Woods. That was it. Um, which, uh, I don't know, looks like a musical. <laughs> you know, um, Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Apparently, this cost an absolute fortune. Yeah, and I've heard that. I'm not quite seeing that in the trailer, I must say. It looks very, very set-bound, but we'll see. It um, does look incredibly set now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got no idea what the story is watching this trailer. No idea at all. Um, it's out uh, on Christmas Day, I think, which, you know, it's a, it, I mean, Christmas is a busy enough time for us with Christmas and Lottie's birthday within a few days of each other, and, and Exodus is out. So, like, I, if I'm going to the cinema around Christmas, it's going to be for Exodus. So... Yeah. You know, hey, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know. It looks all right, but I'll just catch it at home. And I also saw the trailer for A Most Violent Year, the new J.C. Chandor film. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I didn't see. I didn't watch that trailer yet. I did see that it was it was out there though. Yeah, it looks it looks good. Um, it just looks like a kind of a seventies, very character based kind of crime drama. It feels very old school. But it doesn't feel like we've we've had one of those that have been particularly successful lately. So um, I'm uh, I'm up for it. The trailer certainly makes it look good, anyway. But mm. yeah, so that was it for me as well. Cool. Um, so we will uh, carry on. And oh right, uh, sorry, Don's just talking to Lottie. Sorry. <laughs> um, so we will get into our main review, which is going to be for Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. We are going to have a clip from it, and then we'll get deep in. And spoilers all the time, folks. Yeah. You have been warned. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. And here's a clip. We used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now just look down worry about our place in the dirt. Go for main engine start T minus 10. We must confront the reality that nothing in our solar system can help us. Nine. I've got kids, Professor. How long? Where have you gone? Eight. I'm asking you to trust me. Seven. You have to talk to me, Murph. Six. I need to fix this before I go. I have no idea when you're coming back. Five. Main engine start. Couldn't you have told her you were going to save the world? No. Four. When you become a parent. Three. One thing becomes really clear. Two. And I said you want to make sure your children feel safe. One. Thing that could 
transcends time and space. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. All right, make it. Yes, you are. We'll find a way. We always have. Okay, so Interstellar is directed by Christopher Nolan and stars Matthew McConaughey, um, Anne Hathaway, Wes Bentley, David Giassi, Michael Caine, Mackenzie Foy, Jessica Chastain, and Matt Damon. <laughs> um, in a in a role that surprised me somewhat, even yeah. though I will say when they're waking him up, I yeah. was thinking. Oh, we're gonna have a surprise cameo here that we don't know about. Who's yes, this Who's I was, this? I was thinking exactly the same thing. You know, and uh, you know, hey, Matt Damon's in it for twenty minutes. Cool. You know, I mean, that's pretty much all it was. Um, but anyway, uh, so Interstellar is the story of Cooper, uh, played by Matthew McConaughey, an ex um, NASA pilot, I believe, who um, is kind of grounded. Uh, the world is. Um, kind of going to shit thanks to the blight, uh, a kind of unexplained natural phenomena which is causing uh, dust to swirl around all over the place and for um, kind of uh, food raw materials to die out. Corn is the only thing that is now surviving and even that is uh, predicted to die out. Uh, uh, Through a a series of events um, kind of led by um, Mackenzie Foy's daughter character. Uh, what the shit is her name? Jesus. Uh, Murph. Murph, of course it is. Um, yeah, that's not a slight on the character or the actress at all. That's just my memory. Um, he is. Uh, he discovers that his old kind of mentor, Professor Brand, played by Michael Caine, is uh, spearheading a uh, mission to look for a new home for humans. And so uh, Coop goes off to save his family, but knowing that he may never, ever actually see them again. Uh, so, Mark, Interstellar, I have no idea what you thought of this. You've been very hush-hush on social media. Um, so I am intrigued. Go ahead, sir. Um, I Well, first of all, what I'll say is, is what was very strange about Interstellar is I, I felt compelled, uh, I suppose, um, to insist that um, Isabel uh, came to watch this film with us. Um, oh, nice. It's a 12A, but I thought, um, you know, this this is... For me, it's like it's an event. I wanted to see something like Interstellar on on the big screen. Um, it's a twelve A, literally only because of the language, surely. Yeah, yeah, and, and I I knew it was it was going to be that. I don't, I, you know, Nolan's very clever in the way that he, he makes films, and I I wanted to I wanted this I wanted to share this kind of what was going to be what I hoped was going to be a really great film and a real kind of adventure and like an experience um of, of witnessing something like this on the big screen um so it's kind of like insistent that we all go together and so we went middle of the day um midday today uh and i i kind of i've avoided uh reading pretty much anything about it because i 
I mean, unabashed, huge uh, Nolan fan. I just his films resonate quite well with me, uh, and I was very much looking forward to to Interstellar. Um, and I was a little bit surprised at, at how much it got to me. To be honest, um, I I'll get it straight out there now. Never have understood this um, idea that Nolan's films are cold, that they look pretty and they look technically brilliant, but they're they're cold in emotion. Don't get it. I think it's it, it's one of those things where if you've got a parrot and you refer to it as a cockatiel enough times, people will just think you've got a cockatiel. <laughs> it is literally that. Um, I was I'm not in not in any macho sense, but I'm not a, a big a big crier at films and yeah, anyone who's met me knows i'm not a macho person at all um but it, this film had several points including one about halfway through where it fucking it cut me in two almost i was physically kind of shaking and it, it, it had me and um i was i was I, expecting i, I just to want to say i'm kind of surprised by that because like anecdotally again there's that word again but you you are quite like the Babadook, kill the kid, kill the kid, <laughs> fucking dickhead, kill the kid. So my general thinking of, of thinking about this film and your reaction to it was going to be, I think Mark's going to kind of not like this. I think he's going to tune out because of this stuff. Um, and because you generally, you hate kids. <laughs> yeah. And you obviously don't like your daughter. <laughs> so the stuff that happens in this... I thought you were just going to think it sounds like a wicked way to spend a couple of years away from the kid. Frankly, I, I, I would have, I would have totally done the McConaughey thing. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, in fact, anecdotally, coming onto a side trade thing, um, on the way out of town today, walking back to the car, I was joking with Isabel that the first thing I'd do if we won the lottery, she said, "Would you share the money with me?" I said, "Yeah, but I'd, I'd send you to boarding school first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just send it to boarding school with like, right, okay, you're gonna get a thousand pound a month. Now shut up and pretty go. much, pretty much, yeah. Um, no, it's it, it, it absolutely um, in and amongst all of the the wonder that, that was going on and, and the the look of it and everything like that. There's there is a definite emotional kick, and I'm sure we'll come to the, the point that I'm that I'm, I'm meaning that really yeah. fucking hit me yeah. uh, later on. Um, but yeah, it, it it was a lot better than i expected and even at the bits where it goes somewhere where it could quite easily lose people and that's not a bad thing that you know it it took risks especially towards the end i went down the road of all right fuck it yeah i like that I, i yes yes i was expecting something like that but not that but i am yeah that's cool i like that yeah i mean the I mean, the thing is with this film is that I could see why people can be sniffy about it. And I think it that is a total, that's absolutely fine if you're not into it. I, I could see why someone would potentially not be into it. And I don't think objectively it's a great film. Um, I think it does have, it does have enough quantifiable issues about it. But in a way, like the film itself kind of says about like, there are, there are things, you know, like love is like something you're drawn to people, even if they're dead. And it's kind of like an unexplainable thing. And it's like your own kind of human reactions to things. 
like subjectively, I think Interstellar is a great film for the effect that it had on me. But the thing is, if you're not into a few of the things that happen in the film and a few of its ideas, you're not going to get on with it and you're probably going to think it's middling and I can see that. I The thing is, I mean, I agree with you, Mark. I have no idea where the Christopher Nolan is a cold filmmaker thing comes from. Like, The Dark Knight, one of the pivotal things in The Dark Knight, it's about the innate goodness of humans to react in a dire situation you know the scene with the two boats yeah and that i mean i think he's actually being overly kind because i don't think that would play out that way at all in real life yeah Um, and and inception essentially is about about one of two things either a man trying to do anything to get back to his children or two a man so stricken by the um, grief of his wife dying that he disappears into a dream world uh, to get yeah. over it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I mean, like Christ, even the character of Batman. I mean, he's a man who is completely formed by the death of his parents. Mm. You know, and his essentially his becoming a vigilante crime fighter as a kind of a way of like trying to heal his psychological wounds, you know, it's, uh, and, and I mean, and so then you've got Interstellar, which I just, I, it is, I mean, if it's about anything, it's about a father daughter relationship. So yeah. how, I, I, even, even if you think that's unsuccessful, how can you call Nolan a cold filmmaker when that is obviously what he is aiming for with this film? Hmm. It just, like, I, I find that mind-boggling. And, I mean, to, to be fair, I find the quieter stuff of the film maybe more successful than the, the bigger stuff, you know? I mean, I, I didn't see it in IMAX, but I, I, I don't see too many visuals in this film really even blowing me away on a bigger format i mean like maybe i'm wrong but there's i was surprised at how there's not really a lot of kind of mind expanding visual stuff what there is is great but i mean mean, like the key thing is that one shot of the ice planet where you've got like the ice at the top and the bottom of the screen and it's kind of moving forward yeah and the uh, the wormhole sphere is an interesting idea, and when they go through that, but yeah, I was I was I was kind of surprised by how much story there is in it. Yeah, and I mean, even how like a lot of the 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 the, the, the highlight visuals are really tied into the story. I mean, the um the kind of the fifth dimension space mm. is is a really interesting idea. And, oh yeah, um, you know. Um, like I, I, how how that's pulled off. I I'm assuming that wasn't any of the theoretical physics stuff, but um, you know, it was more creative license. But it works really well. Yeah, and one thing I will say about Interstellar is if if you want a film to show to people to say, look, this is why we need to keep making films on film as opposed to just everything going on to digital this is a film you can say because you just and I, people might scream and disagree and go there's no difference but you don't get 
that richness and that unbelievable colouring and that just gorgeous screen uh, presence of the just the visuals on their own from digital uh, film. You, you just don't. I, you, people who have adopted and directors and everything like that who have adopted digital and say it's brilliant, it's amazing, anything like that, that's fine. They they can have that. And, you know, I'm not going to not watch film because they've been shot on digital. But I'm glad that there are certain filmmakers out there who are basically saying, I will not make films on digital. People like Nolan, Spielberg, uh, Tarantino, and people like that. Because no matter what, I just think they look better. When obviously when handled well, but I just think they do. Yeah, I mean, it, it helps that um, Nolan's found a really good replacement oh. for uh, Wally Pfister as well. I mean, Hoyt von Hoytimer, which is a fantastic name. But yes. I mean, like, he, I, like, he did let the right one in, and he did her, um, and he's pretty sure he did Tinker Taylor. And, he did do uh, Tinker Taylor, which the best thing about Tinker Taylor was how it looked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, there is there is a kind of a richness. There's quite a lot of different um, visual palettes as well, but mm. they all feel absolutely at home. I mean, it, it it does it does look different from Fister. I think, like, even though maybe the films that he, he shot for, for Nolan, they've got a kind of like a steely blue kind of grey slightly drained look to them whereas interstellar it's um yeah it, it's it's very earthy and it's very natural um you know in its in its locations and i think uh von Hoytema does a really great job in in getting getting that across absolutely yeah it, it, it that was one of the things where you kind of worry a little bit going into it and going right well it's the first time um he's not worked with He's worked so worked with a new uh, cinematographer, and yes, Hoytman Hoytman's um, previous work has all been great. But it does like the first time um, Tarantino didn't work with um, Sally Menke. Mm. You know, you were you kind of like going, well, you know, it, you're taking a very key ingredient out of this. You know, how a filmmaker works. Is it going to be? How is that going to? going to pan out and set itself and you do look at it and go all right so yeah it, it, it's still going to look fucking beautiful mm. yeah no absolutely it just it's you know it's kind of obvious that that nolan's going to do his homework on that and oh uh, yeah yeah i mean it's I, I don't know it's interesting i mean like it's a, it's I, I very much like transcendence as you know but i mean yeah. one, one thing that i, I think you could say for it is that who the, the guy i don't know who remember who did the cinematography but it wasn't Wally Fister, and it, it doesn't look as good as the stuff that Wally Fister shoots himself. Uh, no, you know, and I mean, it, I, I, yeah. So, um, I, I, moving on, I suppose. I mean, Jess the, Hall, uh, by the way, it was who did Transcendence. Sorry, Jess Hall. What else has he she done? Uh, he did. Oh, was it, he, he did some. He's a British um, cinematographer, I think. Let me just have a check. Go on, carry on. I'll, I'll, I'll have a check while while you're. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's the thing that I think is interesting is the fact that, you know, people going into the film, people were talking about how the visuals were going to be amazing and um, it was going to be an experience to see it in IMAX and whatnot. But when I when I think about the film, I don't I don't think about the visuals at all, really. Um, you know, I mean, 
and it, I, I do think about the sci-fi concepts, but it is mainly the performances. The, yeah, and, and the the, the father daughter relationship, and even the father son relationship to an extent. Because I mean, like, the, the, I think that moment maybe you're referring to halfway through that really got me was specifically when McConaughey's looking at the video screen, yeah, the exact and then moment. Casey Affleck shows him his kid. Yeah. And, and then, like, it just cuts to, like, yeah, McConaughey's, like, it just cuts to him, and he's just crying, and it was, it, oh, my God, it was it, the Yeah, worst. It, it absolutely, it cut, because you could see him running, and you're thinking, and at first thought, what's he running for? And then you realise, shit, he's got 23 years' worth of messages to look through. Mm. And, and, you know, part of him's just wanting one of them to be from his daughter, but then he's also finding out that he's got grandkids and then the he's lost one of his grandkids which, all, which i liked as well because they don't make a massive point of that no they like, don't yeah it, it just like it, the, the kid seems to come and go and i mean like that was i mean that was brutal and i mean the thing is it the film i, I mean a lot of people have kind of said that a problem with the film is that it, it over explains its exposition quite a lot but the thing is i think the fact that it's drummed into you so clearly that going down on this planet and getting stuck on there has had this particular consequence. It just, like, the, the fact it's all so rapid to the viewer, but it's also really rapid to McConaughey. Yeah. And, you know, and trying to get his head around it. And then, like, suddenly it's just boom. Yeah. Cause your, it, your son and your daughter are two completely different people. Yeah, it, it is insane. It, it, it's basically they were down on that planet for, for less than the amount of time that we were watching that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a, a practical, you know, a, a generation uh, went by. It, mm. It's it's an insane concept, and it's it's kind of saying, you know, it actually says it within the film. You know, you cannot, you can prepare yourself, and you can get away. You know, you can understand the science of the idea of uh, relativity, but you had the other um, NASA guy. What was his name? Um, Romley, um, and he's saying, you know. Uh, for, for him, they went down there like twenty odd years ago. Yeah, but yeah. They've come up and they've only been gone two hours, and it's it, it, it like you say it does head spin. But yeah, that moment was you know it got it got me. Abs in, in absolutely yeah, a, a, a fucking heavy way. It was like getting hit with a sledgehammer because you and it, it, a lot of that is McConaughey's performance. Um, you know, a lot has been made of this. Oh, Matthew McConaughey has. Okay, everybody, um, we had a slight technical uh, hitch there, uh, which basically meant that Skype locked us out. So if we sound a little bit different, it's because we recorded the portion of the show you've listened to so far on Sunday, and now we're recording this um, on Thursday evening. Uh, so apologies if the show's a little bit late out and you get two shows that are quite close to each other, but thems are the reasons. Uh, I think I was just about to go into uh, talking about uh, McConaughey's performance in uh, Interstellar, because... It seems like everyone's got caught up in this wave of our oh, Matthew McConaughey. Um, you know, he, he's doing such interesting films now in comparison to all of the, you know, the um, rom coms that he was doing for for years. And it's one of those things where, you, if you actually go back and actually look, he, he actually was doing quite a lot of interesting stuff pretty much his entire career, really. Um, in a period of maybe a couple of years where he did um, a, a couple of not great rom-coms, but things like um, Fool's Gold and Sahara are, are perfectly entertaining enough uh, action flicks. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is, I mean, like you say, within like the mid-noughties, like the mid to late noughties, you know, he was doing that How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and Failure to Launch and like you say, Falls Gold and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, like his, his most kind of famed character is from a Richard Linklater film. Yeah. You know, you know, I mean, I mean, that's where, all right, all right, all right, right. you know, comes from, you know. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it is, um, I, I think it's unfair to say that he, you know, like, oh, McConaughey, he's only just, like, gained respectability in the last couple of years. And the, th- the thing is with him, he can play a father and he can play a, a farmer and he can play a spaceship pilot. Yeah. And, and all in the one role. And it feels fine. I mean, it's it's a hell of a thing. It is. And, and the thing is, it, it does seem to have, I think, maybe maybe got his got into his groove back a, a, a little bit I mean got a bit of confidence in the fact that he can be a great dramatic actor back I mean winning a fucking Oscar will do that uh, but you know he, he did do things like Lone Star's an incredible performance from him mm. um, and the same with a, a Time to Kill as well uh, so within this film he does really seem to have a confidence in himself that he can carry those emotional uh, moments and those weighty bits, and, and he absolutely, uh, without without hesitation, can. You know, there are bits where you know we, we mentioned him earlier, where it, you know he's the emotional centerpiece of the entire film. Yeah, quite. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really a, a very very good performance. I've seen some people be sniffy about it, but I, I just I find it hard to be so. Frankly, it's um, I, I think it's a really 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 solid performance. Um, and I mean, like Mackenzie Foy does some really good work as well as his daughter. She only has like a, a couple of key scenes, but she kind of aces them completely. Oh yeah, absolutely. She's she is. Um, it, it, it can sometimes be quite difficult, like like we've said about. Um, I mean, we encountered the the horror child of the Babadook uh, last week. Um, so it can often be sort of seen where child actors can often, especially when you've got uh, such a strong acting presence as somebody like uh, Jessica Chastain playing the older version. Um, but uh, Mackenzie Foy is is very very good in this. You know, she gives a really solid performance. Not oh, a solid performance for a kid. It's a really solid performance. Yeah, no, absolutely. She's got that. She really really manages to maintain that line of being, you know, a bit kind of like older than her years without like without being overly precocious. Yeah. Um. And, and I mean, the, the the you know the stay scene, which kind of forms the backbone of the third act, basically as well, is just. It's really, really stunningly done. Yeah, I mean, it had me, it had me absolutely, you know, tear, tearing up um, in it of the fact that, you know, you can see McConaughey there. He doesn't want to say, "I'll be back. I'm coming back." Yeah. But he, he knows that, you know, that he absolutely he has to. Yeah, I mean, it's um, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I just. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's kind of hard. I mean, like if you haven't got kids, I suppose you could like think, well, how hard is it to lie to a kid? But you know, it is pretty. I mean, I, well, I mean, like Christ, I find it hard lying to Lottie. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, like she wouldn't understand anything I say whatsoever. But um, yeah, it's it, yeah. I mean, it, it's very, very, very well done, and obviously it kind of scars him as well. Mm. And as as a kind of an emotional centerpiece for the film. It's uh, it's so well fucking done. It is, and and, and it, then it does play into that layer a bit of um, you know, once he's done the bit he needs to do, yes, and he's no longer needed. It's a, 
I'm doing this to get back. And even if somebody had said to him, there is literally a 0.0000001% chance that this will work, that you will get back there. He's gone, so what you're saying is, there is a chance. Yeah. And it's like, but it, it, no, there is almost no chance. It's like, do you know what? I can either die here or I can risk almost no chance. And that is, that, that, to most people would seem insane, but in a in a parenting sense, and this isn't a you won't understand it if you don't have kids, but in a parenting sense, that just makes complete sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, it, 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 yeah, no, I mean, it, it's there's there's not much more to say other than that, really. It just it does click. It completely clicks. Um, and I mean, I I, I I will say one aspect that I'm a little bit met on is uh, the sun. Um, you know, not not so much when he's younger because he's just not really in it that much. But uh, Casey Affleck, bless him, um, he's just like he's not really given all that much to do here. You see, um, Becky mentioned that um, about Casey Affleck and said, you know, he's he's too he's too good an actor to get that little to do. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and and I I sort of said, yeah, you're absolutely right, but. If you actually go back and look over the history of Casey Affleck's career, he seems happy with that. He seems happy with being in quite small roles in films. It's just something he's pretty much done throughout his entire career. And it's it's strange because you get the feeling that, that Casey Affleck quite easily could have said to, you know, to someone like um, Chris Nolan, I want a bigger role. And he might have got Wes Bentley's role or something like that. But he seems like... Well, I'd like to play this role. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I think Casey Affleck's one of those people who, who as an actor, he doesn't want to be a star. He's no interest in that. But I also don't think he has any real kind of comprehension about how fine an actor he actually is. Yeah, I mean, it, the, I, the thing is, I kind of get the feeling that maybe it's just people wanting to work with Christopher Nolan. Because I mean, yeah. like, like, like you say, I mean, like Topher Grace turning up in there as well. Yeah. And like his first scene where he's kind of in the background while Michael Caine's dying, I was just like, is that Topher Grace? Mm. And then it's just like, shit, yeah, that is Topher Grace. What's he doing in here? Okay, he's maybe Jessica Chastain's boyfriend, and what else is he doing? It's just, it's, it's a weird nothing role. I mean, to be fair, Matt Damon is quite a weird almost nothing role as well. Yeah, yeah, it is weird when Fat Damon turns up. Um, and... Like you say, we did speak about it. It, 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 it did take it back, but you are, like we said, you are kind of waiting, going, oh, "Who the fuck is this then?" Because it's got to be somebody. Uh, but yeah, yeah exactly. it, it, it is very seeming like Matt Damon's gone. I want to work with Chris Nolan, and he, he yeah. is he is becoming a little bit like one of those directors where people want to have the experience of, of, of just working with him because he is regarded as being one of the finest, you know, crafters of, of film of. You know, of his time, you know, out there, and you know that that success that he's had, and you know, both critical and um, commercial success have created that. Much in the same way as people just you know like the idea of working with somebody like um, Scorsese, so they'll take on any roles or anything like that. Not comparing the two, but it's got that kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it, it's. And I mean, to, to be fair, I also kind of think that maybe it was a bit of a secret because it might kind of let on that 
okay, they actually meet someone out there. Yeah. You know, and so, I mean, I think that's probably why it was. But, I mean, like, his role, I mean, he's fine in it, but just the fact that it ends up with a fist fight on a planet Mm. is maybe a little bit disappointing for him. And it also, I mean, like, I didn't feel the length of the film. But, again, when I was saying at the start of the review four days ago, when um, I was saying I could kind of understand why people might have problems with the film... It's one thing where my goodwill for the film just kind of lets it slide. But that portion of the film, it does kind of feel like you could maybe take some of that stuff out and maybe trim it a little bit. Yeah, I'd maybe uh, agree with that on there. I I think maybe there is a little bit, a little bit too much. I think part of it is, it is as well, is there's other stuff going on, but there's only a certain amount of sort of set space that you could feasibly have uh, in what this guy has managed to create. So you've got the um, Jessica Stain basically telling Anne Hathaway that her father's died and then having a go at her and and her dad. Um, And then, you know, that's happening at the same time. But but in the background, you've got the Matt Damon and all that's there. Um, so I think that bulks it out, but maybe yeah, there is maybe bits you could shave off. The actual the walking to the um, to the the abyss of that planet, I suppose, um, is a little bit. There's a little bit too much in that. We get it. The fact is, Matt Damon's character has gone crazy with loneliness, which is fair enough. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I mean. I- and I mean Anne Hathaway as well. I suppose we should mention. Um, I like. I I actually quite liked her. I liked that she wasn't just a cold, chilly bitch, and she did. You know, she kind of opened up through the film, and I thought her monologue was actually pretty good. I thought she performed that well. Um, and I I, 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 I don't know. I mean, like, I'm kind of like. I'm, I'm trying to remember what we actually talked about on, on when we... I think we, we spoke about it before, quite, so. in quite a lot of length, really, when we spoke yeah. about it before. So, um... So yeah, I mean, the strange thing is, is, is we're looking at this, uh, reviewing it based on we've got four days in between our review. So how has it kind of settled with you a little bit more yeah, as the days have gone along? Um, yeah. If you'd have if you'd have given it sort of a a marking out of five on Sunday, because I mean I'm definitely not shit with it. It's definitely not shit. Oh god, yeah, yeah. But as a marking out of five, has that changed in those few days? My letterbox was a five. Mm. And the thing is, I kind of want to keep it as a five, even though I know in my heart of hearts it's more a four point five. Um, yeah, sorry. So I mean, I, I, I'm absolutely on a on a five with it. Um, I think it's not my favourite um, Nolan film. Um, and as I've said before, I am in the Nolan camp of I, I do think he's an incredible director, and I've enjoyed every single one of his films. Um, it, it's not my favourite Nolan film, but it only because I've still only seen it once. Uh, my favourite Nolan film I've seen numerous times. Yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing. I, I genuinely think this is going to grow on me. So mm. that's kind of why I'm already kind of saying, yeah, five. But I, I, I suppose I could say it's the lowest of my five stars this year. Mm. Uh, yeah, that would be that would be what I would say. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to my next watch of it without question. Sure. Which I might try and watch on IMAX. Uh, I would like to. It's never going to happen, but I would certainly like to. Yeah, I might. I might try and sneak it in on IMAX somewhere. Uh, cool. Oh, yeah. Shit, I'm hosting. <laughs> so, uh, okay, cool. So that was Interstellar. One old, one new. Mark, 
Go. I'm going to go with uh, my my one old because we've already talked about a new film. So I'll go with my one old. Continuing uh, the Western theme that myself and my wife are going on at the moment, um, we decided to watch uh, the Young Guns films, uh, both of them. I'm only going to talk really about the about the first one. I will say the second one's one of those films where it gets a lot of shit. It's actually a lot better than than people actually remember. Um, so Young Guns, uh, it was one of those kind of brat pack um, films made in the late 80s where you've taken all of the hot young actors of the time so you've got Emilio Estevez in there uh, Keith Sutherland Lou Diamond Phillips Charlie Sheen Don't Mulrooney's in there you've also got Casey Sismasco who never really quite made it through Jack Palance and uh, Terrence Stamp's in there as well Jack Palance and Terrence Stamp were uh, less of the um, kind of Brat Pack (laughs) actors I suppose than the rest of them Um, and it, it takes in sort of um, essentially tells the story of Billy the Kids. Have you seen Young Guns? Uh, no, I haven't. Actually. Yeah, I haven't. Actually, all right. I won't, I won't go too much into like the what. Well, essentially, it is the story of Billy the Kid um, and uh, his part in the Lincoln County War, uh, which was essentially just a war between wealthy um, landowners uh, and cattle drivers who were starting the very traditional. Um, American and worldwide global business thing of uh, bribing officials um, to ensure that they got better um, rates and better government contracts. Um, you've got Terence Stamp plays a um, a British uh, landowner who's gone over to um, the West uh, to run a cattle farm, and he has a, a liking for um, troubled young men. Um, and Does he now? Yes, and it is it is insinuated that he has that kind of liking, but never actually explored that he has that kind of liking. What he essentially does is he picks up. As troubled young men who will end up dead or in prison very quickly, more likely dead given the time that they're in, uh, and bands them together uh, as regulators for his cattle farm where he gives them board, gives them uh, a job which helps them have, you know, and also provides meals and things like that, whilst also at the same time says to them, you're not just here to do this, I'm going to give you an education as well. So he teaches them to read and teaches them to write and all these kind of things, and essentially becomes very much like a father figure. Now, this isn't a spoiler because it, it happens very early on in the film, and it's kind of the motivation behind the rest of the story. Um, one of those uh, is uh, Billy the Kid, played by Mido Estevez, uh, who already is quite hot-headed, but he's also quite intelligent, find out that he can actually read and everything. And he witnesses uh, Terence Stamp being murdered by Jack Palance's crew. Um, from there, uh, the, uh, the all the rest of them, the entire crew, are all deputised, and they go after uh, the crew that killed Terence Stamp. Uh, they're supposed to be bringing them in, they have warrants for their arrest, but Emilio Estevez's Billy the Kid has other ideas um, and it becomes a war uh, which brings in the military, brings in um, the governors uh, and brings in a whole host of other people after the group of six. Um, it's it's a Western, but it's very much an 80s Western. There's a lot of sheen there. Uh, not just Charlie Sheen, uh, actual kind of sheen to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, nice. And uh, 
you know, they they all look quite kind of, you know, they're not weather-beaten or anything like that, with the exception of Dermot Mulrooney. Uh, and it, it, it very much feels like like an extension of those uh, Bratpat 80s movies, but they happen to be dressed up as Western characters this time. But that doesn't stop it from being a thoroughly entertaining movie, to be honest. And it's under two hours long, it's about an hour and 40-odd minutes long. Um, it's got enough action in there. You've got a quite a charismatic leading performance from um, Emilio Estevez as Billy the Kid. Uh, you've also got a really good performance from Keith Sutherland uh, as Doc, uh, one of the other guys who kind of has been around um, Terry Stamp's um, tutelage for a lot longer, and he seems a little bit more—he's a little bit more settled in himself and has taken on this kind of this life of being quite smart and and taken on that. But he also still gets a kick out of the fact that um, he can kill somebody and not even blink. Um, so you you meet that and then you're introduced to Pat Garrett um, within the film as well and it runs all that and then of course the second one is actually um, the, the story of uh, Pat Garrett tracking down Billy the Kid um, which isn't as good as, as Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid um, <laughs> the other telling of that story uh, it's not as good as that but it is still a perfectly entertaining thing and if you are looking to kind of to watch, if you are interested in watching them, I think Young Guns is actually on UK Netflix, um, and Young Guns Two isn't actually on any any of the Netflix, but they're definitely worth tracking down. There's enough entertainment value in them, and they do actually hold their own as being solid kind of semi-modern westerns, without question. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I I will get to Young Guns sometime. I, I will. I just don't know when. It, it's one of those where I would say. Um, if let's say Donna's out one sort of Thursday night and sure. Lottie's gone to sleep and you go, Do you know what? I'm gonna have a beer and I'm gonna watch I'm gonna watch Young Guns. It's a it's it's a Thursday night with a beer at about half nine, ten o'clock. Bang, I'll watch that. And if you go, I enjoyed that, you'll end up watching within the next couple of weeks, on like a fucking Tuesday or something, you'll end up watching Young Guns too. It's not something you wanna sit down on a Saturday night and build yourself up for. It's a, a fuck it, I'll watch it. Nice. Okay, cool. Go um, on then, what are you going to give us for your one old or one new? Yeah, I'll, um, I'll go, um, I'll try and go quickly just because um, we've got about 35 minutes left, so uh, I'll get on. Um, so yeah, my one new uh, this week is uh, Tammy. Um, oh, the uh, Melissa McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so written, uh, writ- co-written by her and co-written and directed by her husband, Bel- Ben Falcone. So this is totally new line saying, Melissa McCarthy, you make a lot of money. Here's $40 million. Do what you want. Yeah. And um, produced by so, Will Ferrell and Adam McKay as well. That's yeah. right. Yeah. It's a Gary Sanchez production. That's right. Yeah. Good call. Um, so, yeah. And um, a really good cast but a lot of people doing not a lot sometimes um yeah i mean like melissa mccarthy susan sarandon alison johnny um uh uh, mark duplass uh tony collette um uh, dan Aykroyd is in there yeah so um all over the place like tony collette maybe has about three lines pops up in about three scenes uh, as you find this out in like the first 10 minutes as the woman who's cheat uh, like who's Sammy's husband is cheating with and like literally 
she does nothing. It's so weird that Tony Collette is in here, and like it, it's very odd. But basically, story is uh, Melissa McCarthy is Tammy. Um, she has a really bad day. She gets fired from her work. She runs over a deer, and um, her she wants to borrow her grandma's car. Uh, to go on a like a road trip grandma says you gotta take me with you grandma is played by Su- uh, susan sarandon her mum is played by alison janney um work that out uh but okay um i'm gonna and... now i'm gonna now now you said it i've got to work it out while you're talking about it yeah fair enough to see if um, that, to see if that is feasible yeah yeah i'm pretty sure it probably isn't so um yeah they they go off in the car and kind of like discover life lessons about themselves and each other right let me just let, let, just interject <laughs> Alyssa mccarthy is 44 right Alison Janney is 54. Right. And Susan Sarandon is 68. So Susan Sarandon could conceivably, I would say, be at a push, could be Melissa McCarthy's grandma. At a very far push. Well, I mean, there's an age difference of, what, 24 years? Yeah, there's no age. Yeah, no, she couldn't be. No, she couldn't be. I mean, unless so that, some so that, very illegal fucking was going So that's on. Melissa McCarthy essentially writing a piece for where she's made herself 10 years younger. Essentially, yes. But then again, I was surprised to see that Melissa McCarthy was 44. Yeah, I wouldn't have said that, to be honest. No, I'd have had so, her mid to late 30. Yeah, totally. Same. So, you know, fair play. And I mean, like, they do put a wig on Susan Sarandon, but Alison Janney looks like Alison Janney, basically. Let's be honest, Alison Janney can be surprisingly hot sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I'm not the only person who thinks that, am I? This isn't like my Patricia Clarkson thing, is it? No, 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 it's not like your Patricia... Yeah, that was weird. But no, Alison Janney, I could... could... I could see that at times, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the thing is, it's basically a labour of love for McCarthy and Falcone, but my, my question is why? Um, the film is not terrible. Um, I was kind of watching it thinking I need some more fodder for worst of the year list. Mm. Um, and it, it, I wouldn't go that far. Five out of ten on Letterboxd. It's touching cloth, to be honest. Um, it made me laugh enough. Melissa um, McCarthy doesn't just rely on the... The, the fat woman fall down humor um which is good um and i i again i as we've learned from my liking of well my tolerating of a haunted house too i have quite a low bar for humor sometimes <laughs> so her swearing at people kind of makes me laugh to be honest and there's also a very very good scene where she holds up a fast food restaurant like pretending her hand is a gun and the awkward interactions of that scene are actually, I, I thought, pretty fucking funny. Um, I'm not ashamed to say, say that. Um, but it, it does go for heart-wrenching stuff. And it, uh, there's there's a recurring theme that turns up about Susan Sarandon's character being an alcoholic and um, Melissa McCarthy's character just, like, never, like, doing anything with her life. And it seems to be aiming for grander concepts than the rest of the... It, it, it's trying to write checks that it's it's laughs can't can't cash, yeah. you know. It's um it, it it's trying to it's trying to be two very different things at the same time, and it it doesn't quite work. But I mean, the relationship between Melissa McCarthy and her love interest Mark Duplass is fine. Um, Susan Sarandon and Gary Cole have quite a, a fun flirty time together, um, and I, it's harmless. It's absolutely harmless, and it's I think anyone who puts this on their worst of the year list would not have seen enough films. To be honest, one so, of those. It, it's not great, but it's nowhere near as bad as. And no, nowhere out. near as bad as I thought it was going to be. But it's a weirdly worthless vanity project. 
as most vanity projects end up being, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, there's just, there's not really much to it. There's no, like, I couldn't even really get a sense of personality out of it, but, you know, hey. Uh, so let's have your next one, though. Uh, uh, oh, bloody oh. hell, Mark, sorry. I'm like, I'll know will be offended by that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my um, one new uh, this week uh, was the... Um, Slightly maligned comedy, Let's Be Cops. Uh, oh, I watched this as well. Okay. Yeah, directed by Luke Greenfield, uh, who I'm not sure... What he did, did he the do? Girl Next, girl next girl. Door. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is a perfectly serviceable... Like what is it? I don't mind it. Did he also do Raw Models as well, I think? No, he didn't. Is it, but, what um, else did he do? I don't know. Uh, he did The Girl Next Door and... Nothing else. No. Um, so, yeah, so... It, it, Let's be cops, and it is um, it's Jake Johnson and Damon Wayans Jr. Uh, who are both in um, yeah. New Girl. Yeah, um, I, I know Ian, you watch New Girl uh, because you're insane, um, and uh, I I tried watching it and then decided that it I, got I way enjoy better. It got way better. The first half of the first season of New Girl is oftentimes excruciating, but when they actually realise that there's value in the supporting guys, including Jake Johnson, Dave, uh, Damon Wayans Jr., kind of, he's in the pilot, but then he's not in it for the next two seasons, but then he comes back, which uh, is weird. But the rest of the supporting cast are actually really good and make the show. I think I think that was because they, he did two pilots at the same time, and I think he didn't think it, that one would get picked up or something happy, like that. Happy Endings was a that show did. that was in the year before, and they thought it was going to get cancelled, so we did the pilot, but then it got picked up. Yeah. Um, I think Jake Johnson, um, I've, I've seen a few things, and I, I, you know, he seems like he is quite a good comedic actor, and it, it works. Um, let's be cops. Essentially, you've got the premise is you've got two um, long-term friends who grew up together um, and moved out to L.A. together. One of them wants to be an actor and one of them wants to be a video game designer. Um, Dylan Wayne's Jr.'s character, uh, who is the guy who, who uh, Justin, who wants to be a video game designer, actually works for a video game company. And uh, Jake Johnson's Ryan wants to be an actor, uh, doesn't appear to work for anybody at all, seems to be living off um, a, the money he got from a, a genital herpes um, uh, advert, and, and he did. Um they accidentally go to a uh, masquerade ball costume party dressed as cops because they have cops uniforms because that's the game that Damon Wayne's Jr.'s character is making. And then they end up falling into the life of pretending to be cops and hilarity ensues. Um, fuck it, seeing as you've seen it as well, did, what did you think of Let's Be Cops? I thought it was all right. Uh, yeah, um, it's perfectly solid in it. It's perfectly serviceable. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't love it, um, and I, I, I kind of think it is it's too long. Way um, too long. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I, I don't know. It, it did make me laugh. I mean, the, the thing is, like, they the premise of them getting away with things when they're cops, kind of, they, they drag that on a little bit too long, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought it was all right. I thought the chemistry between the two was good. Um uh, I, I thought it looked all right. Um, I actually quite liked Rob Riggle in this, which isn't always yeah. a sure thing. But I thought, like the fact that he actually kind of slightly played the straight man in this, I, which is I nice. appreciate. Yeah, I appreciated that because Rob Riggle is at his worst when he's up to eleven. Yeah. Apart is. apart from Step Brothers, I will say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, although I I, I did like his cameo in uh, The Hangover, to be honest. 
Oh, there's the um, yeah. the taser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I just I thought it was fine. I, I the thing is, I watched it a week ago and I barely remember anything about it. But I I watched it I, five days ago and I barely remember anything about it. Yeah, I I, I, I certainly didn't hate it. So no, you know, success. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those where it's it's twenty minutes too long and it's only an hour and 45 minutes, but it's 20 yeah. minutes too long. You could easily shave 15, 20 minutes off this, this film. This, this premise is such a sub-90 minutes premise yeah. that it's ridiculous that it's over 100. Yeah, I, 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 I thoroughly thought that it was going to be about 95 minutes, so 90 minutes and then credits, and it isn't. It's, a, it, it's longer. There's, there's a li- they try and put a little bit too much story in there, and it ends up kind of losing it because of that. We get the idea that he can't make a video game, and we get the idea that, that he's a loser. We get that. but And they also try and shoehorn a bit of a love story in there that doesn't actually make any kind of actual real sense and doesn't need to be in there. But the bits where they're actually cops are quite funny. Mm. Uh, and there's, there's easy enough there for it to be one of those ones when it inevitably crops up on Netflix probably in January or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um that you could easily give it give it a go, a spin, without question. Uh, bizarrely, did you notice, just going off topic a little bit, did you notice that Robocop, the remake, is on Netflix UK yeah, already? Okay. Yeah, I think Studio Canal must have signed some deal with Netflix, because I know they used to be Amazon Instant Video exclusive. Um, mm. And that... I mean that's big, man. I mean that's... it's like the it's like the Hobbit, the Desolation of Smaug. That's been on Netflix UK for about two months, and yep. uh, the the Hunger Games Catching Fires on Netflix UK. It's just there there are these like odd films that just pop up on Netflix um, really really quickly, and I don't know, man. Like there is no point in having Sky Movies anymore because like stuff's just especially if you've got Unblock US because stuff will be on Netflix within a year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, like, on, on Netflix US, I mean, like, World War Z's been on there for ages. Star Trek Into Darkness has been on there for ages. Um, I mean, fuck me, Snowpiercer is on Netflix US. That's not even out in the UK yet. It only came out in US cinemas in the summer. Yeah, which I, which I will say I have actually watched, but because I watched it before we started recording the show, I felt I couldn't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I have watched Snowpiercer and it is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Snowpiercer is getting rewatched before year's end for sure. But it's, I don't know, it's like pay 20 quid to import a Region A only Blu ray or watch it on, on Netflix with Unblock US. I get the argument that, like, this has been quite a big thing on Twitter recently. It like, has, yeah. People like arguing that, like, yeah, even watching stuff on Netflix US when you're in the UK is bad because it's like when these films come out in the UK, you know, the distributors aren't getting the money from people actually watching them in the UK. And I understand, I certainly understand that. Mm. But at the same time, Snowpiercer has been around in in what feels like every territory other than the UK for a long time. Yeah, it, it is a very strange one. And the thing is, you give me a, um, you release a, a, a steelbook of Snowpiercer that looks yeah. as fucking nice as the German one yeah. or the French one, I'm buying it. Yeah. I'm buying it. I'd have bought it blind. And just because I've watched it on Netflix, although I do agree with, with the sentiment, but then again, it, it's kind of like you've got to say that the the dynamic of distribution and the dynamic of how films are presented to us is changing. And the sad fact is that that 
is going to affect uh, distributors. I'm not saying that it's good that it's affecting distributors, but it does mean that, that it is going to make their job harder in some ways, but it makes it easier in some ways because the fact that it's going to make VOD a more popular place to land. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm like changing up my viewing habits all the time these days. I mean, I have got a Cineworld Unlimited card again because I, there was a deal through my work where I got a, an annual card for £131, which is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's just over a ten or a month. And I can watch what I want when I want. So why not? But I'm also like, um, I was tweeting the other day about um, like getting a Blu-ray player that's got Curzon Home Cinema. I'm going to do that this weekend. And then it's like, these films that would have been playing in the Cardiff Cineworld a couple of years back, that Curzon and Artificial Eye have now decided we're best off just playing them in London cinemas and then doing VOD same day. I will I will pay a tenner to see these films on Curzon Home Cinema and watch them at home. Yeah. That's awesome. And I'm just going to see what Lottie's... She, what, she is, she's Lottie. very vocal. Yeah, just, just a sec. Sorry, man. <laughs> Don just woke her up and she's pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> oh bloody hell um anyway um but y- y- yeah i mean like so like curse on home cinema and you know the, the vod in general i'll pay i will pay if the opportunity is there i will pay yeah you know that, that that's all there is to it i am happy to pay to watch films i am more than happy to pay to watch films but you know if in, in a situation like snowpiercer it's just it's you know, you could just watch it on Netflix US for fuck's sake. Why? Why wouldn't you? Especially when, who the fuck is the distributor in the UK? Does it even have a distributor? No, it doesn't have anybody. It doesn't have anybody. Essentially, whoever it is that's 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 shopping it around, uh, trying to find the UK distributor, the studio, they just they want an unrealistic amount of money. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. By the way, we've got 15 minutes left. I've got a feeling this might actually turn into the the conversation for the for the pod for the podcast this week. Yes, it, it kind of might might. It. Sorry, bud. No. Um, or do you want to just move on? We can we can we can move on if you want. But let's let's just move on because like I I know you wanted to talk about that 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 point. So, um, yeah, okay. So I'll I'll just say really quickly. Uh, on Netflix US, I rewatched Dumb and Dumber. Um, oh, it still holds up, doesn't it? Yeah, too right, it does. It's still um, really funny. Uh, I'm talking about a place, a little place called Aspen. Yep. <laughs> I don't know, Lloyd. The French are assholes. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's the best. There are so many good lines. It is and, so on point, isn't it? Yeah, the 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 the, kind of, the situational comedy is is perfection, and I, it just. I'm looking forward to the sequel. Fuck it. Yeah, I am. I am. And I saw a tweet about it today that said, Dumb and Dumber 2 is very, 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 very funny. Yeah, I mean, that that's all it needs to be. You yeah. know, uh, I mean, it, it looks like it's a 20 years later sequel, which basically kind of like feels like the first film. And that's, you know, that's fine. Whatever. That's all I want. Um, but anyway, yeah. Um, uh, unless you've got any more to say about Dumb and Dumber. No, no. Other, other, other than yeah, it looks. I, I'm I, I'm looking forward to the sequel. Dumb and Dumber holds up really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was my first time in probably 15 years, and yeah, I really fucking enjoyed it. So, uh, yeah, okay, let's move on to the uh, discussion point. And uh, Mark, 
do you want to start us off? What are we doing? We're going to basically just have a quick sort of discussion about... Um, I mean, the main crux of it is um, the fact that um, recently Marvel and uh, Warner Brothers uh, via DC, or DC via Warner Brothers, whichever way you want to look at it, uh, have released a schedule of films. And I'll just quickly run through them. Um, May the 1st, 2015, Avengers Age of Ultron. July the 17th, 2015, Ant-Man. Um, May the 6th, 2016, Captain America Civil War. November the 4th, 2016, Doctor Strange. Uh, May the 5th, 2017, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, July the 27th, 2017, Thor uh, Ragnarok. Uh, November the 3rd, 2017, Black Panther. Uh, no, May the 4th, 2018, Avengers Affinity War Part 1. Uh, July the 6th, 2018, Captain Marvel. Uh, November the 2nd, 2018, Inhumans. By the way, that's 10. Uh, May the 3rd, 2019, Avengers Infinite War Part 2. That's five years and 11 movies. Now, Warner Brothers have rebuttaled that with... Uh, I won't go through the dates, but I'll just go through... 2016, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. 2016, Suicide Squad. 2017, Wonder Woman. 2017, Justice League Part 1. 2018, The Flash and Aquaman. 2019, Shazam and Justice League Part 2. And 2020, Cyborg and Green Lantern. That, again, is what, effectively, four years, but that is six years down the line. And that is 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. That is 21 blockbuster movies for the next six years that we already know are out there. So we already know that there's going to be, when, when the fourth Avengers movie is coming out, how... how and, how do you build up tension within that? Really knowing that this is going to be there and that all these things are going to be tying in together, knowing that essentially you're going to probably have some element of these films bleeding into each other to that point. It, it just seems like laying out that much of a slate that far in advance just kind of makes people go, oh, this, this, this is going to be leading to this and this won't happen because of this. And it, it, it's... It just seems that we're getting a lot too much too soon. I mean, the, the thing is, I, I, I mean, I agree with that point generally, I must say. I mean, but the thing is, like Marvel, I think in a way they've kind of earned a little bit of trust in, in this because I agree that it, it, it is a, a sense of, well, we've got no real surprises to come in the years ahead. But, the, the you know, they were the ones who kind of pioneered this way of, of, of doing this over the last few years, you know the way that they've got these phases and the fa the fact is every si none of the films have been rubbish like at least to me none of them have been rubbish they've been at least okay and i mean especially kind of the later films i mean you're looking at iron man 3 captain america 2 guardians of the galaxy the avengers they're all really really good blockbusters um and, I mean, you've got Avengers 2, which looks like it's going to be the swan song for Joss Whedon. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens once Joss Whedon kind of um, uh, leaves the roost. Um, but the thing is with Marvel, uh, sorry, with DC, is that it does it does feel like they're just doing Me Too. And they're, they're, oh, yeah. and they're releasing all of these names. And the thing is, 
you know, we've only got, we've only had one film from this new DC universe so far. And it was Man of Steel, which I really liked. But that film felt like at the time, like it was going to be its own one-off thing. Yeah. And I mean, like Christopher Nolan apparently came out and said in an interview last week that he himself kiboshed the idea of a post credit stinger on Man of Steel. Mm. And, you know, and, 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 and good for him because that film was its own thing. And now, I mean, like the, the Man of Steel sequel is essentially... It is it's Batman versus Superman, and all the focus is on Batman. So it's already like Superman is. It's called Batman to, versus Superman. Yeah, colon Dawn of Justice, you know. So and again, it's basically saying, right, whatever, Superman, yeah, Batman, hey, you know, Justice League prequel essentially, and it, it just and it, and then you've got all this, uh, all, all all these other ones with characters that we haven't had introduced yet. And I mean, to be fair, Marvel did do that with Phase One, you know, with the with Four and Captain America, and they they got away with it. But it, I don't know, it just it feels like they're copying. And I mean, like the, what I find more egregious is the Universal idea with the Monsters Universe that they're they're planning on doing. Oh yes, yeah. And, and it just like it, I I I you know that kind of thing I find more offensive to be honest just because comic books it feels like yeah okay have these characters interconnect and have these interwoven stories why not it's it's different because it's the form of cinema but you know fair enough but like i don't know and I, a world where i don't know dracula and the wolfman team up to fight the creature from the black lagoon or something you know it just how is a shared universal monsters universe going to work? But the, the the point you make about the fact that basically we know the next blockbuster's coming up until Christ, until my kid turns six, mm. you know, until that's... until my kid, my kid will be will be just about to leave home. Yeah, and and we already know these these big films and. Yeah. You know the other studios would do this if they could. Like, um, there was a report out this week saying that Hasbro are apparently in early talks to maybe buy DreamWorks Animation. So you know what's going to happen there if they do. Oh yeah. Um, and it, it just—I mean, the but, thing is though, the thing is, I can't really complain because most of these films that we talked about that have been released so far, I've been—I've enjoyed. So it's just I'm—I'm I'm, as long as the quality stays up, then great. And if the quality doesn't stay up, then they're pro- they're going to make less and less money. And that whole George Lucas thing about like a studio basically betting the farm and losing it may well occur. And you know, Cyborg, what? Um, I mean, they're going to have to do some real groundwork for because otherwise, who gives the fuck? And it sounds like a John Claude Van Damme film. Well, well I, I, I hope it is a remake of the Jean-Claude Van Damme film Cyborg, uh, because I'd be more excited for that. Yeah, I mean, it just, I, I, I it's so, weird. It's like there's going to be a world where Fox have got Planet of the Apes and Fantastic Four, so it's going to be Rise of the Fantastic Four versus Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it's, that, that kind of thing is disheartening. But, but I will say... For all the people who say, "Oh, this this represents the death of cinema," blah blah blah, you're not looking hard enough. Oh yeah, no, it, it, it absolutely, you know, it absolutely doesn't. Um, and the other thing it, it does is it does kind of when you have because it, it 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 doesn't seem that long ago, and it might not it might not be true, but this is how it feels now, and it might have always been like this. It's just I'm looking at it in a different way now, but it didn't. It feels like now 
blockbuster season starts April, really, and then runs through to around kind of September now. So you've got April, May, June, July, August, September, there. So seven months, yeah. And then what happens is, is from there, after that, you get October, so you get your general kind of Halloween-y films, although you don't tend to get that many, but it, it's kind of a bit of a, well, it's the pre-awards films. And then uh, November, December, January is your awards films, and then if you want to dump a film, you put it out in February or March. And that seems to be the tone of, of how things are moving nowadays. And it's kind of, it's meant it's become quite quite formulaic. So it, it kind of takes the, the that kind of edge out of, you know, seeing things because you know that, oh, well, we're going to get the awards baity films in the next two months. And then we're going to get the films that are, are dumped. And, you know, we hope that there'll be some actual films in there. And the probable fact is you're going to watch a lot of stuff and go, Do you know, what? that's all right. But is that all right because you're thinking, well, I'm watching it in February or I'm watching it in March and it's been dumped, but actually it's quite good. Is it because of that? If you saw, if you saw it in like in, in November, would you be going, oh, well, you know. And it, it just seems like it's become so formulaic and that the, the accountants have kind of taken over how films are getting released rather than, you know, it just being, well, I've finished this film, let's release it at this time. Well, the DC one, I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's been pointed out before, but I don't know. The kind of the, I am, I am pro Marvel to be honest. Even though I have liked a lot of the DC films, I, I, I am a big booster for Man of Steel. Genuinely, I really enjoy that film. But the, I mean, the interesting thing is that the Marvel one was done at a big press conference where they invited basically every internet blogger, like in America, who who anyone gives a fuck about to. They announced it there. DC, they announced that slate on a stockholders call. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's just, it, I mean, like, there's your direct hit. This is this is all business um, piece of evidence there. Um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the, the thing is, I mean, you know, these films were out there to make money, and this is something that seems to be making money. I mean, we've complained for decades now that Hollywood is a world of you know, that thing was successful, oh, we're going to keep on doing that until it dies out. Um, yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ, they're even trying with the biblical epic at the moment with Noah and then Exodus, Gods and Kings, and, you know, there's going to be uh, a new Ben-Hur coming out, directed by Timo Mamatov, which is the most mental thing I've ever heard. But, yeah, a lot, um, a lot of slow-mo and a lot of CGI battle sequences, I predict. Yeah, so the, the chariot scene sequence will take like two minutes in real time, but we'll be on screen for an hour and a half, including um, including including thirty five minutes of a close up of a spinning wheel hitting a slight bump and um, jumping up. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but so yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, this is what Hollywood culture is like, you know. And I mean, the thing is, the reason why it gets complained, it's a it's a feedback loop. The reason why it gets complained about the most is because it, it, it is the thing that's kind of talked about on the internet the most, mm. and because of that, it's the thing that gets complained about the most and it just cycles and cycles and cycles you know so i mean it's it's just important to you know understand that you still have interesting films coming out and yes tv is is very very good at the moment it absolutely is it is a different medium for telling different stories you know so and um at least it is usually i mean you could argue that the comic book movie 
that kind of thing could almost be done in a in comic book TV series, but they just have lesser budgets. But um, with this, I mean, like Nightcrawler, that wouldn't work as a TV show. Gone Girl, that wouldn't work as a TV show. No, um, you know, or at least in its current form. So, um, I mean, it. it oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's just. I think it's important to not like just go swing the other way and just say, oh, film is rubbish at the moment because you know what, TV that's getting filled with comic book TV shows too. And there's a lot of shit TV out there. For a yeah. lot of the good TV that is out there, there's a lot of shit out there. It is one of those things when people say, it always baffles me when people uh, come up with a comment of, um, oh, it's been a bad year for film. No, it hasn't. Totally. No, there is, there quite simply isn't ever a bad year for film. Yeah. If you're going to compare it, if you're going to compare it against a year that you particularly love if you're gonna go oh well yeah 2014 was a, was a bad year in film because it it was no 2008 it's like that's six years ago you know I mean, it's been an, it, every year is a really good year for film because every year there will be really good films out every year straight up just a, that's just a fact and if you if you haven't seen them you haven't fucking watched enough films or yeah or at least if you're going to complain like that you haven't watched enough films you know yeah, yeah totally man but um i think we're pretty much yes we are and we we do have a couple of questions i know your your computer's frozen up so i'll i'll, I'll quickly blast them out um tom at very cinematic what gets the most hype a new christopher nolan film or the latest john lewis christmas advert uh, it, the latest John Lewis fucking Christmas ad, but do not get me started on these on the amount of inane bollocks there has been about Christmas ads on social media this week. I don't care, and the Sainsbury's one, I find that one fucking insulting. Is this the right? Because what I will say here is, I don't really watch TV. Um, I watch the football on TV, and that that's about it. And um, I haven't actually watched that much football uh, this season because I just keep on missing it, to be honest. Um, so I don't watch that much TV. And if I do, it's recorded, so I fast forward past the adverts. So I've not seen the John Lewis one, and I've not seen the Sainsbury's one. But isn't the Sainsbury's one essentially warm, essentially pain on people's um, feelings about the war or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a reenactment of the uh, the Christmas truce um, in the First World War. Oh, so uh, it's exploitative then. Yeah, oh, it oh it's a hundred years since the start of the First World War. Let's exploit it to sell stuff because Jamie Oliver's fucked off. And, and yeah, pretty much. And you know, because we're giving proceeds from selling chocolate bars uh, to the British uh, to uh, to the British um, Foreign Legion. Fuck, what are they called? The uh, anyway, the the folks who organised the Poppy Appeal. Um, sorry, that was terrible, but I, I do apologise. But um, yeah, just because we're doing that, it means that we can get away with doing an advert where we're basically saying, you know, share things at Christmas, come to Sainsbury's, buy a load of stuff to share things, and it will be just like that rather beautiful moment in World War Two when everyone stopped killing each other for it. Yeah, when you, that beautiful moment in World War Two where for a day they didn't kill each other. Fuck the 14 million people who died. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I find it really, really, really distasteful. And I can't believe that people are just going, oh, that made me cry. It just, it, I, it, I it can't makes, believe it, it people makes me angry. Shit about the John Lewis advert. Seriously. That, that one I haven't even seen and I don't care. But yeah. the, the Sainsbury's one really riled me up. But yeah, so Christmas adverts, what the fuck? Yeah, it's an advert. They're selling you something. You constantly talking about them. Even if it's to take the piss is 
doing is doing more of their work for them. It just yeah. I don't know when this the new John Lewis advert became a fucking national event. Yeah, it's retarded. Yeah. Um, Rich kid uh, at Rich J kid. Now that Interstellar is here, what would you like to see Nolan do next? Something else big and grand, and I I I think you know. Give the man a budget and let him do what he wants to do. As far as I'm concerned, yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same as that. I I think he's I think he's more interesting when he's doing something um, that that he's got an idea for. Um, I know people like you say I could see him do a Bond film. I, I wouldn't, to be honest, like to see him do a Bond film because I think his hands would be tied by the um, by the restrictions of doing a, a, a Bond film. Incidentally. That's right. It's why Tarantino didn't do one. Yeah, yeah. instantly, uh, if I could pick anyone, just as a side tangent of the question, if I could pick anyone and make a Bond film, it'd be Catherine Beagler. But that's a separate I- issue. Um, I-, I think she could make a fucking great Bond movie. Um, and It'll never happen, but there we go. Um, yeah, I'm the same. I'd like to see just do... I'd like, to, I'd like it to be one of those things where every two or three years, we get a new Nolan film. I don't want one a year, I want one every couple of years. When he's 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 got an idea and he's given essentially a budget and amount of money and time and the freedom to make the film that he wants to make and I think that's what's going to happen with him because I think he's he's reached that level of uh, of, of power essentially. Totally. Um, I, I, I'm all for it because I'm a big fan of his movies. I know some people aren't, um, but fuck it. You, you know you've got. 11 Marvel movies uh, coming up uh, in the next uh, six or seven years. And let's be honest, the majority of people who are pithy about Chris Nolan films are the ones who uh, adore Marvel films. Uh, that just seems to be uh, a link that is quite easily made. Yep. Uh, but, you know, that's not a criticism, by the way. That's just, that's just an observation. <laughs> nice. So um, that's it for this week's show. I know Mark's got to go, and um, I think I probably do as well. So uh, next week, I am um, actually um, kind of chained to the house this week because we're painting the lounge. So um, I'm not allowed to go to the cinema. Um, uh, I know, though, hitting VOD, I'm pretty sure anyway, in the US tomorrow, is a film that Noel's been raving about, Starry Eyes. Oh, yes. So I'm thinking maybe that if we can both see it. Uh, I don't see a single reason why I won't be able to see it. Um, is that the uh, da, 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 da. ah yeah I know which one you mean? Yeah, yes. I'm 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 all for watching uh, Starry Eyes. Uh, it means that I don't have to uh, rush to go and see the drop, which I will be going to see at some point anyway. Yeah, I was I was actually planning on seeing Ooh, the drop. But, yeah. That 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 means that I can probably make the drop uh, my birthday movie. Oh, boom, when's your birthday? 25th of November. Shit, it's up. Uh, yeah, I'm off that week, but I'm going to go to the cinema on my birthday. Um, and then, oh, that's why that's actually the reason why we're in Manchester on the, the weekend after. Oh, yeah, nice. Cool. Starry Eyes, and it'll be the first in our uh, Scorsese, early Scorsese marathon. Which I don't think we've even talked no, about. No, we've yeah. literally just did that. Uh, we're, essentially, we're going to do not early Scorsese. I did that wrong. We're going to do... Um, Overlooked. Overlooked Scorsese. Uh, we've not quite worked out the exact um, uh, films we're going to do, but there will be a, an Overlooked Scorsese movie also for you on next week's show. Okay, so that's going to be it for this week's uh, this week's uh, oh, that's going to be it for this week's show, then, folks. And uh, uh, thank you very much as always, Mark. Anything else to say? Uh, no, just uh, at Dude and the Monkey, um, at Ian Loring, at Dude Foz, at 
dunamonkey at gmail.com. Uh, feedback, questions at any point, we'll answer them. We keep them for when the show, when we actually record the show. Uh, sorry if this show's been a bit all over the place, but we had quite a lot of technical difficulties. Yeah, it, it's been, a, it was a ball ache this week. And it, no yeah, mistake. It, we, we hope you've enjoyed the show. I've certainly enjoyed doing the show. Totally. But it, it, it's been one of those where it's taken a lot for us to actually fucking get it out there. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cheers, guys. Nice one. Cheers, folks. Have a good one. Bye-bye.